All right, and we have a um, a video. Am I on? There we go. Um, and we have a video from D now as well that'll be on social media, and I think we'll probably play it at the end of the service as well. Um, you'll pick up a few things. One, most apparently our children, our young people haven't wasted too much time on athletics in their lives. Um, the, the video opens with like one kid not catching a football and another kid then missing a basket. Like that's literally how it begins. It's like, yeah, that's right. That's right. We're not one of those athletic groups. Um, the, um, uh, and you'll notice they dance a lot for Baptists. That's another thing you'll pick up when you watch the, the video. It's, it is very exciting that we get to do this, that we get to work on this together one of the things John mentioned in the first service, another thing you'll notice if you're paying attention, it's hard to tell because the age gap isn't that big, is how many of our leaders for D-NOW are former students from our student ministry. They've gone off to college and are so passionate about the ministry here that they've come back now to lead um, when the first chance they get. And that's, that's an excellent sign to get to see our students come back and, and serve and bring their friends and and that kind of stuff. All right, so I told you we had three big announcements. Here they are. One, um, uh, I want to explain the background of this. Uh, we, we firmly believe um, that, that when we say, you, you may have heard preachers reference for, or teachers reference before the idea that church is not some holy huddle. Um, but the truth is, I think that's exactly what church is, especially on Sunday morning, is a holy huddle. Um, it isn't the game. This isn't the game. This isn't where our Christian life is exemplified, is expressed. It's where we get to take a breather and gather up and wrap our arms around each other and get a game plan. The game happens out there. I actually think it's a mistake to think of church as, as the main emphasis of our Christian expression. It isn't. Out there with, with people who serve us and who we serve, with people where we work and people who we, where we play, and then all the, that's, that's where the gospel is being lived out most powerfully, or at least ought to be, is in our lives out there. This is where we gather together. It's like an embassy. We're, this is like a consulate, and we're the ambassadors. And there's a kingdom of the world out there that isn't our home. We're strangers in a strange land. What we, where we are home is when we get to gather together here in the embassy, where the laws of our native land get to be lived out, where the laws of the kingdom where we are citizens get to be lived out. And it's supposed to be lived out really well here. The, every time you hear Jesus say, <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is like... And then he describes what human interaction looks like in his kingdom. That's supposed to be lived out here. Free, um, loving, sacrificial. The first is last. The last is first, etc. That's, that's the idea. We get out there and we're living in a cutthroat, predatory, predator-prey, enemy-friend type of world. And we need one another. And the reason we gather together, whether it's at live uh, or online or whatever, is to be able to say, okay, we got the game plan take a breath, head back out there. That's the plan. That's the goal. So our church, one of the things we do is, in, now there's lots of little ways. We welcome thousands upon thousands um, of people onto this property um, during the year. We don't charge for it. We have ministries and organizations and businesses that use this property all the time. We've had a school that got shut down because of damage to the storm. They've been meeting here for the last week and probably meeting here for a little while longer probably. And like that kind of thing, that's, that's absolutely. But three times a year as a church, we all step up. It's kind of an all-hands-on-deck type of thing that we host a community event here on this property. And part of that is so that people will come to the property 
experience what it is to be surrounded by Christian people, to be served by Christian people in the name of Christ, and we tantalize them here with some awesome opportunity that they can't really get somewhere else. These will continue, even if Tyler ceases to be the little diamond on the cowboy on the buckle of the Bible belt someday, even if that happens, we will still be offering these things, and the more lost the people are who come, the better. That's what that's... Sunday morning, this isn't a seeker event. Those are intentionally outreach to people who would not otherwise darken our property. So one is the fireworks. If you've never been to our fireworks event, it's been now running for 11, that last year was our 10th year. Um, this year, next year will be our 11th year of the fireworks event. If you've never seen it, it's extraordinary. We spend tens of thousands of dollars to put on a giant fireworks event. It's the best one you'll see and I, will, I actually say it's the best fireworks thing you'll ever experience, even if you've been to Disneyland. Um, among other things, seeing the one in Disneyland, you're, you're like this, like this, watching it. Like If you passed out, you wouldn't fall down. It's, it's like that when you're in Disneyland. Here, you can have a blanket. You're spread out. There's all kinds of fun things. Disney, I noticed they didn't give me a bunch of free stuff when I was there. Have you all noticed that? If you've been to Disney World, they, they charge you for everything. Anyway, they... We don't. Here it's, here it's like, listen, you get, you get all these cool things the kids do. It's wonderful. One of our leadership board nominees today, they came to our church through the fireworks event. And so that's how they, that's how they got introduced to us. This is a big deal. It's an all hands on deck. Everyone on the church needs to be here to help set up, to be during the event, wandering around, greeting people, sweating like we're dying, and then, uh, and then help clean up afterwards. That's, that's that. We also do the Highland Games. We've done it the last two or three years. And we want to continue doing it. The Piercys who helped initiate that, even though, and, and this was, we met, we talked about this, they wanted to go to a church that had more liturgical, not surprising. Um, that's a, more of a Scottish background type of thing that had more liturgical experience. And so they've, they've shifted churches during the whole COVID thing. Again, we're all friends. We met, we talked about it. That's all good. And they want to continue to be involved. He has raised up some other lay leaders here to continue to, to do that and to lead with the Highland Games. So the prayer, the hope is we will continue to do that. It'll take more people this year um, because, uh, because of that, but that's, that's we're going to be doing that. So again, we have two or 3,000 people. We have five to 10,000 people come to fireworks. Um, we have right now two to 3,000 people who we think come to the Highland Games. It's a different population than is normally here, a very, very different population than is normally here. <coughs> we need to be here and be involved with that to greet the vendors, all that kind of stuff. So we need to sign up for that. Our third one is just now becoming a community outreach event. It's an in-church event a couple of years. Then last year it was supposed to be community outreach, but there was this COVID thing. Maybe you've heard about it. So we had to cancel that. It's coming up. Got a, There we go. Now, we referenced it just real quickly a few weeks ago and said, hey, make sure you're signing up to serve with this. And pretty much no one did. But that's okay because we were passing by it very quickly. You probably barely even noticed it. And you may not have realized this is our third big community event. We're going to host a giant Easter extravaganza celebration here on our campus. We intentionally don't do one near Halloween because other churches do one near Halloween. It's not because we're opposed to Halloween. It's because let them spend their budget. Go to theirs, right? Go, go appreciate and enjoy theirs. Take your friends to theirs. They do great work. These other churches that do a, a fall festival of some kind or a Halloween event, Go to that. We don't need to compete with other churches. That's not our mindset at all. It's not, that's good. Go there. Then bring your friends here for the Easter one. Even better, you need to register. If you're a member of the church and you don't have little kids who you've got to be wrangling at the event because you're bringing your kids to the event, especially if you have the freedom to not be doing that, 
we need you to, be, to go on the website, southspring.org, go to the events page, click on the Easter bash, and register to be someone who's going to be working at the event. Before it, to help set up, during it, as, a, as interacting with people, or after to clean up, or all three. Um, we will have all types of photo opportunities, because that's a big deal for parents near Easter. Let the kids bring up changes of clothes or whatever, get some really cool photo opportunities. That's one. There's going to be a full Easter experience, like the Passion Experience. That's going to be going on there. Um, there's going to be three massive Easter egg hunts going on at this event. Every 45 minutes, there'll be another big Easter egg hunt so people can bring kids and come. It costs nothing to them. The church is funding all of it. And so we need to get the word out. We'll be getting stuff in your hands that you can get the word out. But what we need you to do first, in order for us to know how big we can let it get, is to know who's going to be prepared to work and serve at this event. So if you could let us know, get on the website and sign up there, and you can do it during the service. You have my permission to do it during the sermon. Um, I, will, I will not even, it won't even hurt my feelings a bit. So um, that's part of what we want. Any questions about, <coughs> about this announcement, the Easter bash? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, if you've got older kids, yeah, have signed them up to serve and work. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. We definitely need that. Question? Anybody else? All right. Announcement number two. Another big announcement. Um, a big deal at, at our church every year about this time is we tell you who you have nominated to be potential leadership board members. I don't ever want to take this lightly. This is, this is a church who, when we do the behind-the-scenes stuff, the making of the sausage, you guys usually don't care to be involved in that kind of stuff. The, the budget meetings or bylaw meetings or that kind of stuff, we do the big Q&As every year, and we have like no one come to those, And so, uh, which is totally fine. I, I appreciate that. If you're ever interested in that, we, if you're, and we put together teams to do that, so you may be invited to be a part of those teams when we do those type of things. But this is one that you can't not be involved in. We want all the members to be involved in this. So our leadership board, I'm gonna, in no certain order, Literally, I have no idea what. Okay, so Chantel's first. Um, I'm going to read you their little bios. You can pick these up. We have we have six nominees. We'll be electing three of them in a couple of weeks. Um, and I just want you to hear from me. Uh, I, if if I don't say this in the future, some of you can be savvy enough to know what that means. But listen, I'm telling you, pick their names out of a hat. It doesn't matter. All six of these are phenomenal candidates for the leadership board. Um, I love at any any former pastor. Any pastor will tell you. There is nothing like looking at the list of people who are going to be in the roles to lead the church, the political leadership, the decision makers of the church, and to see that every single one of them are invested, engaged, God-loving, Bible student, invested, godly men and women. I'm, I cannot tell you what that means to me as a pastor. So it makes my life so much easier to know I don't have to fret about any of this. Um, all of these are great. So I'm going to quickly summarize their bios. You can pick up the bio out there. In a couple of weeks, you'll be voting on three of these for a two-year term. Um, Chantel says, South Spring has been my home to our family since the month after Travis and I got married. Um, throughout the last 10 years, it's been a joy to serve foster teens as co-director for Teen Reach Adventure Camp. Listen to what all these people, by the way, are involved in. It's crazy. Um, youth as a Sunday morning life group teacher, our littlest ones through children's ministry, moms of the young children through the MOPS steering team, herding families through the family support team and grief share, <coughs> and our whole church body as a deacon and a leadership board member. I have the privilege of coming alongside families as a therapist at Aletheia Family Counseling. 
and being a mama to Jackson and Micah. I love our church so dearly and I'm excited for the opportunity to continue serving on the leadership board. She has just finished her first two-year term at our church. According to our bylaws, you can serve two, two consecutive two-year terms. She's done one, has been an excellent leadership board member. Um, so I, I highly, again, I highly recommend all of them, just so you'll know that up front. Okay, next, um, we've got Ben Roach. Uh, ben has been a part of South Springs since the inception and was actually grew up at First Baptist. Literally got in trouble, I think, throwing eggs off the roof at First Baptist downtown when he was a little kid. So uh, luckily he's grown a lot since then, so he's ready to, to lead. But Jen and I have been married for 12 years. Um, I've been part of the church much longer. That's a nice way of saying that. He's uh, literally born here, I think. Um, we have three kids, Noah's nine, Luke seven, Grace six. Um, over the years I've served in many capacities. I ran sound for the big church, led the facilities, worked. You can tell he's been around a long time. He refers to this as big church. I think he was a kid when he was here. Anyway, so led the facilities, work team, taught middle school, Sunday school for eight years. Subbed through Sunday school for 12 years, led Royal Ambassadors for 10 years, served at Royal Family Kids Camp for 10 years, served at Teen Reach Adventure Camp for 7 years, and been a deacon for about 10 years. There's, there's Ben. Next. <coughs> Next. There we go. Bob. Um, this is Bob Axworthy. Again, Bob is the one who their family came because of the fireworks. They came and visited one time at fireworks, and we're like, what is this place? Found out it was a church, came the next Sunday, and they've never left. You will see Bob regularly on stage in the drums. He's been a part of our worship team since we would be, had a worship team. Um, has been a, a leader in that. <coughs> my name is Bob Axworthy, husband of 21 years to my wonderfully amazing wife and best friend, Sean, father to two incredible daughters, Molly and Libby. Being a pastor's kid, I was raised in church. I came to faith early and am grateful for the faith foundation and heritage my parents gave me. I don't have an exciting 180-degree turnaround testimony, but I truly believe that finding FBC South, now South Spring Baptist Church, has been my Damascus Road experience. My time here at SSBC has challenged me to explore my faith and grow and seek the Lord in ways I would never have thought possible. This church is so much more than just a place to be on Sunday. The people have become my family in the truest sense of the word, and I'm ready to serve and do ministry alongside of you. So there's, there's Bob. Next, Jason Wallace. Um, I'm Jason Wallace. I've been a member of South Spring for about six years. Is Jason here? I was going to chastise him. Like, we've only been to church for like four years, buddy. How have you been a member for six years? That's exactly right. Actually, I think it may be that all six of these are founding members. I forgot to check that. But what that means is he was part of First Baptist when it was South Campus. That's just, I'm just teasing Jason. All right. So uh, he said he's going to put up posters this week. I didn't see the posters. <coughs> T-shirts. Are we going to do T-shirts? Okay. Um, my wife, Hallie, and I have had two daughters, Sadie and Charlotte. Um, we've been fortunate to serve children's ministry most of the time we've been at South Spring. I've served for two years as a deacon, and you'll see me in the back Sunday mornings with helping and seating. He's one of our, he's, he heads lead our, our ushering uh, ministry. We believe every member is a minister and are thankful the privilege to call South Spring home. Next, David Apperly, um, a sinner saved by grace. David, his son, husband, former foster dad, former because he's adopted them, and father via adoption, um, shooting sports, and he loves fishing and outdoor activities with his family, so he's up here on the property. He actually helped us the first time kind of really recreate the lake and make sure it had good fish and that kind of stuff. That's one of his passions is the, is the lake out there. David has been married to his all caps. Amazing wife, Sarah, for 16 years. Three beautiful children, Jacob, Hannah, and Eli, a founding member of South Spring, and served, he served on the South Spring Founding Committee. He's involved with the men's ministry and a member of the Parents of Children with Special Needs class. Good. 
Jeremy Ashley. Jeremy is a native East Texan, born near and raised in Eckhart, Elkhart, Texas. Um, they've been married, uh, he and Meredith have been married 11 years, have two children, Barrett and Tinley. Um, God led Jeremy and Meredith to membership at South Spring, or at the time First Baptist South Campus, in early 2017. They've served in the children's ministry as teachers for various grade levels, currently part of the 150 and ready to teach again. Um, Jeremy and Meredith also are on the welcome home team and are often at the welcome desk during the second service. Good? Is that all of them? Is that all six? I think it is. Ben, Chantel, Jason, Jeremy, David, and Bob. There you go. Again, let me just reiterate. Um, I hope you will look at that in a few weeks. Prayerfully consider who God has in store. It's been amazing every time. You know, it's, it's one of those like, who knows what the year will hold. We have twice during our, our existence said, ah, this is going to be a slow year. Poor David Lake, the year that he was the leadership, that he was the deacon chair, he was like, listen, is there anything big coming? Don't let me, I don't want to be part of anything big. Don't let me join, don't let me become the deacon chair if something big is ever like, David, slow year, quiet year. That's the year we got planted as an independent church. We didn't know it at the time. We didn't know that was coming. David was like, dad, come on, I told you. Anyway, so uh, who knows? And that's why I think God really does choose the right people to be here for the right time. That has been the case this year through COVID. The leadership board we've had has been phenomenal. Three of them at least will continue on, and, and then we'll have three, these three new ones. I hope prayerfully you'll be prepared to vote for the ones you know the best and who you know are good. But truthfully, um, any of the six, any three of them will be great. Any questions on the leadership board vote, which is in a couple of weeks, or anything about them? Okay, good. Uh, I told you there were three big ones, and those were the two smaller of the three. Here's the third one. The third one is, I thought about dramatically pulling this out and tearing it in half. Um, we have 150. All right? So thank you to all of you who are part of the 150 um, who have signed up to be prepared to serve. We already had people prepared to lead adult life groups. We've had people prepared to lead the student ministry. We needed 150 people to start children's ministry, and that's just at half capacity. Um, it takes about 300 to serve in a children's ministry to have any rotation. It takes about 100 a week to run our children's ministry when it's full. Obviously, it's not full right now. COVID has still kept our numbers a little bit lower, but it's, it's, I think it's going to be expanding relatively quickly. Certainly by next fall, I think we could be looking again at new record numbers. So we need to be prepared. This is a first, not first, this is like fifth step. This is like fifth step along a how many knows how many steps, only God knows, path. What this means is, so make sure we get all this correct. I'm going to pull up uh, Rebecca's email because I don't want to miss any of the, any of the details. Um, so we now have 150 people registered. First, you need to hear. That's 150 people registered. Some of you 150 who have registered have yet to finish filling out your paperwork. Um, so fill out, finish out your paperwork. We need you to finish your paperwork. You can't serve until the paperwork's done. Um, so make sure and don't miss that. Get that done. So get the paperwork in of that 150 people. Um, second, as I said, it takes about 300 to be fully open. We will be adding opportunities for children's ministry progressively as we have more people registering to serve, to teach, to lead, to serve. Um, pretty much, it is close to, guys, it is close to a all of us thing when it comes to children's ministry because of the numbers that we have and the numbers of children that we have if we're going to do it well. And let me tell you, I will, <coughs> I will pick up on this again uh, in another sermon before long. But if you're one of those people who you look around and say, I'm really worried for our culture. I'm really nervous for what's going on in our country. 
the by far the best way for you to impact that is to begin investing in the lives of our young people now so that they are prepared to face those pressures and, Lord willing, be a part of what turns that around. I'll talk more about that next week. So you don't, it's kind of like you don't get to complain if you don't vote. I really feel like in a church setting, you don't get to complain if you're not serving. And so you need to be serving, and then, then that gives you the right to go, at least I'm trying to impact this culture. I'm trying to change this. I'm trying to raise up a generation of young people. It doesn't take that many. There were only 12 apostles. It doesn't take that many to begin the process of revolutionizing a culture. Um, if we have, and we have hundreds of children here every Sunday. And if we are impacting them and preparing them to be raised up with the solid foundation of following Jesus, then um, they may stand, they may be able to stand, and eventually regain ground. That's part of the, part of the hope. So that's what we're looking at. And we'll need a lot more. So as you, if you haven't signed up yet, if you're not part of the 150, that's okay. You can be part of the 300. Um, and we need everybody to be checking in and, and engaging with that. So here's what that means. One, as of March 14th, March 14th, that Sunday morning, preschool and grade school will be open with limited capacity. If you have children in grade school or preschool, you need to register by Friday. You need to register for, that you're bringing your little kids by Friday to preschool or grade school. Everybody clear on that one? Everybody got that at home? Good. Just click yes on Facebook or something. I don't know. So, Second, student ministry, grades 7 through 12, is totally open on Sunday mornings now. It's back. Student ministry is fully back. It will be running at full capacity at 9 a.m., just like it always has for this church's existence except for this last year. So make sure, um, make sure that, you, that you've got your students there. You do not need to register students for Sunday morning, just children. Next, several Sunday morning life groups with adults. You will need to talk to your, if you know who your adult leader is, ask them if you're going to be meeting live on Sunday the 14th. Obviously, it's not required. Check with them. Many classes have met by Zoom or online. You may continue to do that for a while until people get vaccinated or whatever. That's, that will be up to the individual classes. But the classes will be, have the option. You will be hearing from Chris Sherrod in the near future, if you haven't already, about March 14th and for adult education, what that's going to look like. If you are part of the 150, you should be getting an email... Tuesday. So in two days, you should be getting an email to let you know when the scheduling is for you. And that's coming up right now. So be watching for an email on Tuesday, and the kids' registration links are going to be going out, etc. Um, you do not need to register for the great room anymore, for the, for the big church, as Ben would say. You don't need to register for this anymore. If, if Most of you haven't been anyway, right, for a while. That's, that's me either. And so, uh, and so that's okay, but we don't need to be doing that. We may even begin, at so, soon we'll be changing the structure even in here. And we may have some of the room divided by seats and some of the room not. Because what's happening now is now we're almost like forcing people in even closer in order to maintain the empty chairs. And that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So we'll see. We'll be looking at that and evaluating that. All of this starts March 14th. Are there any questions about this? So adult, minute, adult education, back at 100%. Talk to, your, talk to the teachers if you're, to find out if you're live or not, uh, or in person or not. Student ministry, back to 100%. Children's ministry at about 50%, so you need to register for that. Any questions? Okay, good. Oh, yes, sir. Both, both services. So children's ministry will go back to being both services. There will be children's ministry opportunities, both services for grade school and preschool. Thank you. Good question. Any others? Okay, here's something cool. March 14th 
is when student ministry starts back up, obviously, children's ministry goes back to 50%, and adult education goes back to the potential of 100%. March 13th, 2020 was the day the email went out canceling Sunday morning service for the next Sunday. Friday, March 13th, Friday the 13th, was the day that we sent out the email canceling in-person services for Sunday. So now March 14th, one year and one day later, will be the first time student ministry meets on Sunday morning, the first time adult education meets on Sunday morning, and the first time grade school meets on Sunday morning. One year and one day. So pretty cool, right? What a year, huh? All right. That's pretty, that, that feels pretty, uh, pretty significant somehow. Don't know how, but it, it feels it, right? Also, by the way, this week, I keep track of these and I often forget to say it, but this week, um, Tuesday or Wednesday, I think, is the day, and I don't have the, I could look up the date maybe, <coughs> that First Baptist Church voted. Um, there it is. See if it has the date on it. In 1996, uh, March the 3rd, 1996, is when the concept of buying property in South Tyler was voted on by First Baptist Church. So that's how long ago, in 1996 is when the vote passed, that many years ago, so we'll do the math real quick, and so how's that, is it 25? Is that right? 25 years. So 25 years ago, this Wednesday was when the idea of buying property in South Tyler was pa- passed at First Baptist Church. So another cool little fun date to be thinking about. All right, so um, here we go. Daniel chapter 12, oh, almost exactly like first service. I'm only one less than a minute different from first service. Um, I knew I'd only have like 15 minutes. The good news is I won't have to prepare a sermon next week because it's already ready to go. Um, because I have like a good sermon and a half ready to go and, and already. So we're going to look in Daniel 12 right now, and we're going to work our way to another good stopping point and then pick up next week and really unpack the concept of judgment and wrap up. We're going to go to Hebrews 11 next week. I wish we could do Hebrews 11 this week. Um, because I think how it plays with judgment, and because our students are studying this week under Paul's leadership and John's leadership this week, three really cool heroes of the faith. So I'm going to mention them next week instead, and the students will be here, and that'll be extra fun anyway um, to get to share that with them. But they're really, that's what they're studying. That's on purpose. We know that one of the things we need to give our young people are heroes. They're, they're, They're collapsing in the culture. Heroes are not heroes anymore in our culture very much. Um, a lot of students, don't, they aren't being taught heroes in history. What we're being taught is to tear down and dismantle history, even the heroes, because the truth is all human beings outside of one are flawed. And if you want to look for their flaws, then you're going to be able to tear them down. That is absolutely the case. All of them. There is no human, no matter how noble, that does not have horrific things in their life. And by the way, weirdly enough, no human so horrific who don't have some noble things in their life. This is part of what it means to be human. And, and what we've got as Christians, what we can do, as we'll talk about here, is we get to judge everybody in the terms of what can I learn from them, good and bad. I can look back on historical figures and say, wow, here's what was horrible about them. I need to learn not to do that. And things that were awesome and amazing and noble about them, and I need to learn how to copy that. We only, as the Apostle Paul says, we follow people as they follow the example of Christ. So we can evaluate all of them through that lens and do that. We have that freedom to do that, including Daniel, and we're going to look at these. And then the next, we're going to go through a little, a few weeks on Nicodemus, I mean, uh, on Nehemiah to kind of wrap up Daniel. And then the plan right now is to jump into studying First Peter. 
And so what we'll be studying for the next however long, and again, only God knows, is to study First Peter. Okay, so Daniel 12. Daniel 12, verse 2. This is what triggered our desire to dive into this conversation on judgment and the resurrection. It was Daniel 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to start in verse 2, though. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We have seen here in the end of the book of Daniel the reference to the book of God, the reference to the resurrection of the dead. And those bring us to a conversation about judgment, which isn't something we teach about all the time, but I want to make sure that as a church and as God's people, we understand it rightly. I think so many people have really bad understandings of what judgment is. Um, I grew up with a bad understanding of what judgment was um, because I was raised in a church that taught that there was a tipping point day to day where if you sin too much, you lost your right relationship with God. Um, and so if you sin too much, your salvation was gone. You had lost that right relationship with God. And you just had to hope when you showed up at judgment that you hadn't missed one of those tipping points because judgment sounded terrifying because <coughs> the first thing you were going to do was find out whether God was going to condemn you to hell no matter whether you had put your faith in Him or not. And so that was a great comfort to me as I learned through what Scripture actually teaches on some of those topics. But this is an old, old teaching. This has been around so long as the Bible has been. Many commentators and Bible scholars believe that the book of Job is the oldest book in our Bible. A lot of reasons to think so. In the book of Job, you have Job who is facing this horrific torment for a few months of his life. And it's just about as bad as it can get for a few months. Some of you have faced things similar to this. And here he is facing this. And I'm, I'm reading it out loud to Ginger at night right now. And we're at Job 19. And I read just this week in Job 19, 20, you don't have this verse, so that's okay up there. Job 19, 25 to 27, in the midst of this suffering, Job says this, notice, this may be 4,000 or more years old, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, my heart faints within me. Here we have Job, probably 4,000 years ago, saying, one, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of being criticized and condemned by his friends, who were doing fine until they started talking. Isn't that always the case? When your friends are suffering, when somebody's suffering, if you're suffering and people gather around you and they're just being comforting, and then they turn, open their mouth and they start getting preachy, and you're like, yeah, you were doing better when you weren't talking. Like that was... We were good until you, because what we do is often is we try to comfort ourselves with our words. We don't know how to sit in silence. We don't know how to sit with somebody. And so we start trying to comfort ourselves with our words. And I will tell you over the years, I've actually done therapy with people who were more traumatized by the things people said during their time of difficulty than by the time of difficulty itself. So as Christians, it's always good for us to stop and wait and let the Spirit lead. His friends start opening their, mouth, their mouths and they start condemning him. And in the midst of that, Job says, no, no, see, here's the deal. You may stand against me right now, and I'm trying to stand for myself, but on top of that, there's going to come a day when my Redeemer will stand for me. I know my Redeemer lives. He will be the one who proclaims my value, not you. It won't be me. It won't be you. It'll be Him. I know my Redeemer lives. And even though I will, decay, I will die and decay, even so, in my flesh, I will meet Him. In other words, there will be a bodily resurrection at some point. 
That's how this works. Though I, my, my body has been destroyed, by my flesh I will see God, and I will see him for myself, my eyes. We will get new bodies in the resurrection. And he's so excited. He says, my heart faints within me. And I don't know if that's because I'm struggling so much at this point or that the thought of this brings me such relief. This is where we find our relief. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, the angel says, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Um, this reference is about Daniel's scroll. We'll talk more about this again next week. Daniel's scroll, this isn't God's scroll. They're saying, hey, the scroll you've been writing, Daniel, the insights you've been getting, the notes you've been taking, seal them up. Shut them up and seal them up. The insights and revelation for God, for Daniel, are done. There isn't any more coming. You can close it. You can even seal it. Now, there are people, I will tell you, there are people um, who make a lot of work out of the fact that Daniel is supposed to seal up his book or his scroll. There are people who place a lot of significance on that. A few years ago, a book came out that was well-read and interesting that talked about how this sealing means it was something we could not understand until the end times, until the very end of time. And this author made the claim, since we are now in the end of time, and I will tell you I'm always dubious about people who claim to know that we're in the end time. And I don't mean the end time, we are. We have been since Jesus was resurrected. We have been in the end times. But to say, no, 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 now we're running out. Like it's right near the end. The hourglass is done. Somehow they know that. People have thought that since the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter. So that's not new information. For 2,000 years, we've thought it's any minute now. So I'm always hesitant about that. One. Two, this author says that what we thought was about Rome all along Remember, the, we've talked about the statues and the creatures and all that kind of stuff in Daniel, was actually about the Muslim faith. And now that seal has been broken, and now we can correctly interpret that. Now, I want you to feel free to come confront me if you ever hear me say, listen, after all these thousands of years, I'm the one who finally gets it. If you ever hear that from me, come up and go like, hey, you told us to tell you if you ever said that, because I promise you I don't mean to say that. I'm not saying this author says this, and I'm saying the author did a fine job writing the book. I read the book, and they make a compelling case. But I don't think that's what this is about. I don't think the ceiling means no one's going to understand this. People are going to misinterpret it. They're all going to be wrong until I show up or until someone shows up to get it right. I think it is purely as simple as this. You're done. You can close it now. It's time to take a break. The rest of this chapter, I think, is going to show this. No, no, it's okay. I'm not coming back again with more messages for you, Daniel. There are not going to be suddenly angels showing up somewhere. You're not going to wake up in the middle of the night terrified by a dream. It's not going to happen. You can close the book now. You can close the scroll. You can seal it. And no one is going to receive anything like this, at least for a long time. And no one does, by the way. There will be other prophecy books that you can place next to this one. There will be other people who teach things, but this one's a difference different. And, and by the way, there is no book like this until Revelation is written, and that's about 700 years later. So most of a millennia before something like this is recreated, um, like it is with Daniel. So, and that is clearly at the time of the end, meaning the end times, which we've been in for at least 2,000 years. It's time now for others, Daniel, to study your book, to dig into it, to figure out how to apply it, to see how it makes sense within their contexts, and this is the end of the book. Now, you would expect, as I did, 
you get to this section in Daniel, and the next line should say, and they lived happily ever after the end. Or, and then Daniel lived out the last of his days and died, and except, like, the, like a lot of the other stories do. You would expect that. Close the book, seal it, we're done, the end, fini, whatever. Instead, there's an end credit scene here in the book of Daniel. It's fascinating to me that John and Daniel have so much mirrored connection. <clears throat> because remember, if you remember when you were here for John, when we got to the end of John, it was like, this is clearly the proper end point for the book of John. And yet there's another handful of verses. There's this end credit scene at the end of John as well. Like, oh, by the way, you probably want to know about this. So you've set through the credits, it gets to the end, and then you would get this next section. And that begins like this. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one at this book, bank of the stream and one at the other bank. Two others show up. Some probably heavenly beings. I certainly think so. Some people say two humans. Some people say two prophets. Um, some people even say it's the only two named beings that we see in Daniel that we haven't met yet, the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, that they've now shown up to witness this event. M maybe. I mean, it's supposition. We don't know. But I believe it's two more angelic beings. Um, they are here to witness what is going to be said next. Ready? Someone decides to ask a question of the man in linen. Now, you've got to like this. I, this is the kind of thing that makes me have faith in, in Scripture, is stuff like this. Um, if you were faking this, you would never put this sentence. Daniel would know exactly who said everything. I love the fact that Daniel either is so caught up in the moment that he remembers that someone asked a question, he just doesn't remember who it was. Or he didn't see who it was. He's like, wait, who, who spoke? Or that it was a voice from someplace else. No one knows. But anyway, you have Daniel with this. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? So they ask, okay, how long before this ends up happening? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. Now we've discussed it, debated it, and in the end, I've at least been convinced this is the second person of the Trinity. I believe this is Jesus Christ, floating above the waters, he has not spoken. He's just been there. The angel has spoken to Daniel. Now someone asks him, so how long? Now here's what you've got to love. It'd be good to have a date here, wouldn't it? Here's what we want. We want a date. We want an end date. We want, we want him to, Jesus to look ahead at the Julian calendar. Pick a date. Pick a year. We'd still be fighting about it, but that, that would be nice. Instead, he says this. This is wild. The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and he raised his left hand toward the heavens and swears by him who lives forever. This is a, this is a huge moment. This Potentially the second person of the Trinity is now going to swear by his own name, by the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by the triune God, he's going to swear an oath in an act of worship He's going to swear something here on earth to these people before God. This is a big, big moment. And he says this. He raises his right and left hand towards us, swore to him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people come to an end, all these things would be finished. So you've got to love Daniel's next line. So Daniel here, he knows this is big. We have th at least three angelic beings. We have this fourth person in linen floating above. He has now sworn before him who lasts forever that the time of this, that this, there's an end time to this, which we'll come back to in a second. 
But there will be time, times, and half a time. Go ahead and jump to verse 8. Does anybody else find comfort in this? This is Daniel. He's seen all these visions. He's gotten all this insight. He's read the book. It's his book. And at the end he goes, I didn't get it. I imagine him at this moment being all excited. I mean, the second person of the Trinity has just raised both hands and sworn to him who lives forever this thing. And you can imagine Daniel going like, yeah, I got, I got nothing. I have no idea what you, what did you just say? Like, what did that mean? I don't understand you. Like that, that didn't help. I don't know, don't, doesn't. I am so comforted by verses like this in the Bible. No one would ever fake this verse. No one ever, if you were inventing a religion, would you put that in there? I wouldn't. You don't want your hero of the story to go, yeah, I got, I got nothing. I have no idea what you just said. I think Daniel wrote that because that's exactly what happened. Is this, is this about the Greek dominance, like we talked about with Antiochus Epiphanes, which lasted about three and a half years? Uh, maybe. We talked about this way back in Daniel 7. It, it's hard to know for sure. Is it 1,260 days? Is it three and a half years? Is it, is it three and a half centuries? 3,500 years, which we're coming up on since this happened? Is it... Is it I don't know, is it three and a half weeks? Is it three and a half days? I mean, Jesus was in the tomb about three and a half days. Is that somehow referencing that? We don't know when to start counting. We don't know what to count. We just know it's going to be time, times, and half a time for whatever that is. But most importantly, I think, is this message for us, which is what we can understand. It will end. That matters to us as Christians. No matter what we face, no matter what hardships we face, no matter what persecution we face, no matter what torture we face, no matter what torment we face, can you imagine how the concept of this has comforted Christians in prisons, being beaten, being tortured, being killed, being abused for the last few thousand years as they've realized no matter what torment we face, it has an ending. It will end no matter how bad it is. Daniel's going to admit that he doesn't understand it, but it certainly at least means to communicate that the hardships, sufferings, tribulations, which the angel said would be unlike anything ever faced before, they come to an end. God will draw them closed. He will put things right. They will be finished. So Daniel says, what shall be the outcome of these things? So we're going to wrap up here today. What will be these things? Here's the idea that I want you to hold on to. What will all of this add up to? Here, starting next week, is where I'm going to synthesize all these different concepts of judgment and bring them together. What is judgment? What does it mean? What does the end mean? And here's one thing I want us to camp on between now and next week. It is vital to the Christian belief, it is vital to Christian doctrine that there is an external concept of justice. There is a justice that transcends us. This is one of the big things that's trying to, that, they're trying, that the culture is trying to steal from us and from the next generation right now is that there is no external source of right and wrong and the judgment of right and wrong that is outside of us. I don't understand. Like I truly, I don't know if it's just because I'm not young anymore or what, and my brain is calcifying. I don't know what it is that causes this. I cannot make it make sense in my brain, this idea of radical autonomy, especially not expressive radical autonomy. And otherwise, I don't have a preferred pronoun. I have a demanded pronoun. You will call me by what I say about myself, no matter what it indicates. You will, or I want the government to bring down its weight on you. That's a, 
That's a wild concept to say, not only do I get to decide what I want to about myself, but no matter what I declare about myself, you must believe it. That is a, that's a purely internal version of justice. I alone determine what is just and right for me, and you must respond to what is just and right for me. This isn't just about pronouns. This is about everything now. I decide it, and you must honor and embrace it, and there is no external judgment. I am alone create right and wrong for me. The problem is, one, I don't understand that because it feels weird to me. It's like these, the people who have that mindset, which represents, by the way, probably more than half of our culture. It's like they've never met a human. Have you ever met a human? Do we seem competent to declare reality like that, even about ourselves? If you've never met one of us to go, this is just not plausible. It's not plausible to get to do that. My test scores throughout my whole life would indicate I often believe I'm right and I'm not. Okay? Apparently, this is a fairly common thing that I am. I can not only be convinced that I'm right and be wrong, I can be convinced I'm right about something about me and be wrong. Any of you ever learned something about yourself? And realize that for the majority of your life, you believe something about yourself and were wrong. Everyone who's ever been married should raise your hand right now, right? Like, oh, that's not how the world works, apparently. I was, oh, wow, I hear I was thinking that was reality. This is a, like, this is a, this is a, it can be a shocking moment for us when we realize this. This is true of every, guys, this is true of every single one of us. Can you imagine if justice is dependent upon our race? Do you have any inclinations or anything in our history as a race that would indicate that we are a just race. I can't think of it. I'm going to mention next week, what we, or, or, and certainly later down the road, what we used to call the good old days were filled with evil. I, you go back and read sermons from that era. Do, you, do all those sermons from that era talk about what a blissful time of, of moral, ethical perfection that it was? No. You know why? Because it wasn't. It was just as dark and evil then as it is now, and it always has been. Welcome to the human race, and we're supposed to be the ones who dictate justice? I boggles my, I, I really can't even wrap my brain around, like, when, when I have someone want to argue with me, I'm like, I just feel like, have you met any humans? Who are you, to, who, what are you thinking? There must be an external source of justice. There must be. There has to be. We believe that there is an external source of justice that is sovereign and it doesn't, he, he doesn't care about our perceptions or preferences or convictions. I told the Ford students Friday, if I, and I still have it. If you want to read it, you can. In my Summa Theologica, <coughs> my final paper for my theology class, big, dense, I don't know, it's like 50 pages. I commit what I would now call heresy. And I was so convicted of the truth of it, I put it in that paper to get out of seminary. It's also proof that my professor wasn't reading it that closely that I got out of seminary. Like it is, I read, and again, I can make the argument now, it's just, it's just wrong. I can be convicted of something to be true and be wrong. We need an external justice. We need an external judge. We must have that. And we must submit to the truth of that. So as we hold on to the truth that this is there, whether we know it, like it, or believe it, there's an external source of justice. We will all answer to that external source of justice someday. 
We can find great comfort in that, even amidst our trepidation. That's what we're going to be unpacking next week as we finish up Daniel um, and we say goodbye to Daniel for a while. Um, you know, it'll be hard on us. So um, I want to pray as these guys come up and lead us in, in our preparation uh, to be, as, as we, we do this time of invitation, in fact, you guys can go ahead and stand. We do this time of invitation every week. If you've not been a part of our church, it is a time for you to wrestle with, to prayerfully consider. You can come up here and pray or pray where you are. You can sing whatever it is um, that the Spirit leads, that you would be recognizing this. For this week, for us to be thinking about <clears throat> what does it mean? How am I investing my life so that when I talk to that external source of justice who judges me and my life, am I prepared to have that conversation? It's a great conversation to be thinking about. It's always a good sobering thing. So let me pray, and I'll hand it over to these guys. Father, we're so grateful for the goodness of who you are. We're so grateful that we can have confidence in you as a just and righteous and perfectly merciful and limitlessly loving God who in eternity has purchased us. Lord, you've purchased us because you want to show off your kindness and forever is not long enough to show us how much you love us. Lord, if I'm going to be judged by anybody, I want it to be you. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I believe, Lord, that you will hold fast to every one of us you have taken hold of. But that's where we find our comfort, is in the power of your grace. Thank you, Father, for the example of Daniel and the power of your word in our lives. Thank you for those who are serving um, in D-Now and who serve with the children and who serve in all the other amazing things that you give us the opportunity to do. I thank you for these six candidates who are already such servants in our church and are willing to take even more time out of the life you have given them to serve and leadership. So I pray you would guide us, Lord. Lead us, teach us. Help us to, um, to follow you. May your will be done here like it is in heaven. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.